gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's that time again, episode 27 of the Snob Chat. We're here once again with our my uh, much more talented co-host, Shay Simone. Say what's up, Shay. What's up, everybody? How's everyone doing? I'm doing pretty freaking good. I'm about to turn 24 in less than 24 hours. I'm uh, attending a wedding, so we're, we're doing pretty freaking good. And today was my birthday. I'm turning nobody needs to know how old. Uh, and of course, she's here with Landon. Landon, what's up, buddy? Baby boy, Landon. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Of course, <laughs> always, buddy. Uh, once again, when you managed to find out in the wild, James Schneider, he's here. James. Good evening. It is Tuesday, the 19th of 2023. Here on the Snobcast, cloudy weather, very still right now. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Well, what's up, guys? I love you. <laughs> you got the and, reference. And I'm joined this month by a very special guest, the director of the upcoming movie Nandor Fodor and the Talking Mongoose, starring Simon Pegg, which comes which came out earlier this month and comes out on VOD two days, September 19th. Adam Siegel. Adam, say what's up, buddy. What's up, everybody? And he's got the Deathly Hollows tattooed on his hand. <clears throat> yes, he does. There you go. Do. I've never seen any of those movies. What? That's a conversation for another time. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. You're a film, a film snob. I would expect nothing less. So it's correct. And, uh, you know, me and Daniel Reckless have had this conversation. Ah, excellent. There you go. Yes. That's a long story. Uh, but it ends with him five bacatonics in. That's all I'm saying. Oh, wow. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. You were there for that, but you weren't there for that, Jay. He's a wizard. He's a, he's a wizard. He's a wizard, Harry. This month, I am really excited because we get to talk about a director who has been around our conversations a lot, but we've never dove deep into his full body of work. And it's a director who I think might be the most innovative director to ever put celluloid to a flashing light. And that's David Lynch. Guys, what do we think of David Lynch before we get started with talking about his work and we're going to start with adam because i remember the reason i invited you on is because we just did an interview for nando fordor and you told me that he was one of your inspirations so why he's just my inspiration as an artist like i there's other directors who have made you know doper movies but nobody approaches the art of storytelling like lynch does anymore like to me he's almost like the shakespeare of the film world because he doesn't prioritize narrative he, he really truly prioritizes just theme and emotion which i just it just doesn't happen like some directors kind of skirt it and do it a little bit but he's the fucking master yeah yeah i mean you you look at it hitchcock is seen as the master of suspense but i think that david lynch is the puppet master of all human emotion when it comes to characters yeah. on screen i think that's the best way to put that james what about you man i know you're a huge lynch fan I I love Lynch. I love his his work on film, as well as his work uh, not on film. He's a very, very, very beautiful um, painter, and very um, unique storyteller. Uh, doesn't really need a very. He's he 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 is unique uh, in the way that he that he is and i agree with your statement about him being uh that class of a of a filmmaker and a storyteller because 
I don't think we'll ever see someone like David Lynch uh, in, in the – well, I don't think we'll ever see someone like David Lynch because of his, his, his way of, of just transmitting those otherworldly feelings that just roll in like thunderclouds. He just puts it all there on film and well, on his canvas. So, and I feel yeah. like the reason I feel like the reason he's so good at it too is like it's not just that he like can almost osmose his audience with these like very complicated emotions, but technically he's just one of the best. Like technically, just like lighting and framing. Oh yeah, and everything like and sound so design. A lot of, is, a lot of directors nice. try to do it, but he's so fucking good that just like he actually does it. Yeah. He's made what yeah. I would consider possibly the greatest film of the first decade of this century. Oh, yes. And we'll get to it, but... And Two really words, one road. It. Exactly. It's a street in L.A. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's all I got to yeah. say about that. Uh, but, Shay, what, do you, what about you and Mr. Lynch? I know you're, again, a huge fan. You and Landon love him. Also, Landon, Rancid Shirt, great choice. <laughs> Um, for me, it's, and it's, it's such a magical and amazing thing. I mean, obviously, okay. So this whole episode is just wanking off his entire career. We'll be real about that. But, um, genuinely he, he's, I mean, you name dropped Hitchcock. He, I would say he's in the realm of, um, iconic directors and that he's completely an, an auteur and he's completely just so, himself in his art and all of all of his filmmaking it's so completely and utterly shameless um but he utilizes that in ways that are so like you guys keep saying like there's all these feelings there's emotion involved but um it's it's very uh involving and very personal um and you know it, it doesn't appeal to everyone, obviously, because not everyone is looking for that kind of experience when they're they're watching a movie. But when you go into a David Lynch movie, you know that you're seeing something that's you're uh, you're up for seeing something that's going to suck you in, and that that might end up being a very personal experience. And he he marries so many things that I love about art and that I love about filmmaking. Uh, you could say that he brought back this kind of revival of. Um, uh, noir like neo-noir um expressionism in film um you can even say he he utilizes like german expressionist uh techniques um james like you said his sound design is so eerie and creepy and layered and textured and visceral and you just, you can just feel it on your spine and the back of your neck and all of this stuff and everything he does the characters he creates aren't even real characters they're they're amalgams of all these different things i think i'm getting too much into it but yeah i i i, I embrace everything that he does and everything that he brings and and also how honest he is uh, we're well, not going far enough shay oh my god well if this it, his, this man is a fucking rabbit hole so yeah <laughs> that's accurate and I'm while glad. we're while we're about to take the red pill and see how far the rabbit hole goes, uh, let's start with some of his work here. I mean, we'll start with an easy one, guys. I mean, he's got so much stuff, so many different things, whether it be television shorts, television shows, films, artwork. What is your favorite piece that he does, and why is it your favorite piece of Lynch? 
And again, we'll start with Adam because you're our guest. So it's hard to say, but I would say overall, it's the entirety of, of Twin Peaks. Just because for me, like that—that's that—that that show is so unbelievable. Just with regard to like the what it was and how he managed to incorporate the actual his own frustration with the show itself into the show and then to incorporate his frustration with his audience and how much they loved the show because that he was frustrated with in the return it, which was like it, it just just the way that he approaches his stories is so fucking unbelievable and of his films it's for me it's definitely blue velvet but tv wise it's it's twin and overall it's twin peaks for sure i mean just that show is it's unbelievable to me a that it got made b that it was on like a major network and just see how incredible it is and that they came back for the return and we got to even dive into the invitation and the mind of what's going on in David Lynch and what we were missing and I guess I mean what we were missing but also it brings up even more questions <laughs> about the entire show and the characters and what 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 might be real what's not real and just all this different stuff having to do with the lore and coincidentally coincidentally coming up like approximately 25 26 years later which was remarked in the what the second to last or the last episode of season two and that's when the the show went on um a supposedly permanent hiatus and it's just it's so insane it, it it's like the big bang that the show even happens because like you were saying adam it, it it's so experimental and mark frost i think was there kind of on behalf of maybe the network a little bit to kind of make things more um how a little bit more palatable and fit it into the show sense and but it, it's yeah. amazing how I mean like most of his works if not all of his works are pretty melodramatic yeah it's well the show I, I mean like Twin Peaks like not this is probably I'm sure territory you guys know and and completely charted territory for you guys but like Twin Peaks, like, he created it as sort of his own feelings about how much he hated the, like, serialization of TV violence and, like, shows like Miami Vice that were popular and shit, where it was, like, every episode, a murder, detective solve it, right off into the sunset on a speedboat. And he was like, no, no, no. Like, somebody gets murdered, it fucks with everyone forever. And, and like, a lot of times it's not solved. So, like, he creates the fucking show and then, you know... <laughs> the show is successful season one and it's got a little bit of weird stuff in it and it's some of the lynchian sort of like thoughts about america and how television's destroying america and violence and all that stuff and but then you know when the network comes to him and they're like all right cool so who killed laura palmer and he's like no no that's the point we're not going to find out and they're like ah oh, that's great yes we we have to and he's like no no, no. then he the characters, you know, they start like talking to the camera and shit, and they're frustrated that they're on a show now that he can't control, which is so unbelievable. Again, to me, where it's like you're literally watching Lynch's battle with the network and acting on the show, coupled with still all of his frustration about what he saw as the crumbling of America and American values. And like what's so wild to me about Lynch as a person 
in comparison to his art is like you would look at his art and be like this must just be like a fucking andy warhol you know esque like lunatic no he's like a a down home never doesn't do drugs clean you know like normal dude who like has pretty traditional values and he's into tm and that kind of stuff but like overall like he's like a pretty like he reminds me of my dad a little bit you know well yeah he's from montana so like (laughs) he's like a regular dude yeah he is and so then like you know so that so then the the show obviously like he was so frustrated about it and and then i read some stuff about the return and how like you know what happens to uh you know to the to the main character and how for the first for most of that show or for the beginning of the show he's just this like the most lifeless hateable character you can possibly imagine like he's so dead and frustrating to watch and again like that was kind of lynch's like fuck you to all these people who turned the show into a cult when it wasn't what he wanted and and to me like that's so and and he kind of picked up where he left off with the like what what i think is maybe the greatest thing lynch has ever put on any show on any any of his films or anything is the atomic explosion sequence in twin peaks the return like it's unbelievable like the music and the fucking cinematography and the giant wide the ultra ultra wide of the atomic explosion like i was just like jumped out of my chair and like that's and lynch has been quoted in saying that he believes that 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 uh, you know that th- that test, you know, the one from Oppenheimer, was essentially the end of innocence for Western society. You know, and so he's just like picks up right where he left off with putting his own like crazy Lynchian values into his shows. But that's what I love about it is that you can't just like you can watch his movies or his show and be like, and it will not make sense. If you watch it as a narrative feature, like you're going to go watch a typical film, it straight up does not make sense. You have to almost achieve this sense of like Zen, like he wants you to, to accept what he's trying to give you, which to me is like next level storytelling. And that's why I respect him so much. Like, is he as great a storyteller or a filmmaker as Scorsese or Kubrick or fucking Spielberg? Maybe not. But none of them are doing what he can do. That's what I love about it. The, re- the rewatchability, I would have oh to say. My God, like yeah. for the return, I need to watch oh, it a second yeah. time to get the full experience. Was I only watched it one time through and I missed so much. I think I've watched I know. I feel like it. I think I watched the first two seasons three or four times. And it, yeah. it was just it turned into a comfort show, like literally when I was having a bad night. Um when I lived by myself, but not with him. Um, I would just turn Twin Peaks on and fall asleep to it. You know, the the beginning titles by uh, Angelo Battlementi would come on. I'm like, oh. Rest in peace. Yeah, the music on those shows, but on the return, everything, it's like so crazy how good it is. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I'm like, I have that like saved on my Spotify. But I love how you also name dropped uh, Kubrick because I was, you know, the gears are turning right now. And, um, you know, themes of death of America and all of that stuff, loss of innocence, but also the interesting inclusion of um, this uh, Native, like the Native Americans, um, you know, you have the Native American character and all of that. And it is a very, I think it is kind of a whitewashed show, but at the same time, there's definitely an inclusion of all of these warnings coming from, having come from Native Americans, warning of 
the um the overarching um antagonist of the show so, which is never actually clear until the return but even yeah. then antagonistic force is is still really yeah easy <laughs> yeah. yeah no totally and you know and and so when the twin peaks was when i first really truly understood who lynch was as a storyteller and what he was doing and then you know he he dis distilled and perfected his storytelling method, like you mentioned, with Mulholland Drive. And Mulholland Drive, what's so incredible about Mulholland Drive is, again, like, it's it makes no fucking sense. And I kind of laugh when I watch people try to turn it in. And they're like, okay, but here's the thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Here's what, you're, here's, here's what, in my opinion, as a film snob, Mulholland Drive is. When you're an actress and you move out to Hollywood, you come out and it feels like there's this big hidden fucking thing there that is like you can't get into and it's holding you back. And you look at other actresses and you're like, I'm prettier than them and I'm better than them. Like, why are they succeeding and I'm not? And you start to honestly feel like there's this bizarre, almost secret society that determines who makes it and who doesn't and it's an almost unquantifiable emotion it's unbelievably complicated and niche to to la and to coming to la and feeling this very strange sort of like why not me and he fucking captured it perfectly and everything in it captures every scene captures a facet of that emotion which is just unheard of to be able to like it's like, okay, I want to write a story about whatever, like a, a, a love story between a man and a woman. But I don't sit there and go, okay, interior, man, woman. It's like, no, no, here's these turtles. Because this is what makes me think of this emotion that I'm evoking. And it's so cool that he approaches it that way. And in Mulholland Drive, I think he reached the apex of his ability to quantify those bizarre and and very complicated emotions i i really love that you said that because i feel like existential dread the movie is what they should have called mm -hmm. it because that's exactly yeah. what Mulholland drive is yeah and frustration it's such a it's such a like frustrating and it, like feeling you know and like i i came out to la and you know always intended to be a a director but I, even i would feel that and i would like go to a bar and like, there's this director and he's like, you know, hanging out and he's like so cool. And he's got all these hot girls around him and everybody's like, and I'm like, damn, what does that guy have? Like, what did he do? You know? And, and it, it's such a like strange longing that he captures in that with a lot of it. And, and I just love that he's so absolutely unfettered in how he does it. That's literally us at every film festival. We're like, how the hell does that guy work for that place? We're so much right. better than them. That's the thing. And he, and he captures it like, and, and everything like, you know, the, the, and like you mentioned earlier, Shai, like his sound design, you know, like in that, like, like he evokes that horror, like that fucking scene with the crazy homeless, whatever it is behind the, the diner scared the shit out of me and, and scared deeply the shit out of everybody. As a kid. Like it deeply fucked with me as a kid because I was already so unsettled by this movie that I was watching. And then I was just like, 
that was the kick in the nuts, man. I was just like, oh my God, you know? Yeah, it, it, the, the, those movies, I mean, Mulholland Drive is another, I think kind of iteration of the kind of um, explicit kind of experience, like emotional experience uh, as like Black Swan, Perfect Blue and all those movies. And that's what makes this work so uh, like decadent in yeah. every sense. Of course it's niche. Of course we like it because you know we're in the film we're movie weirdos and <laughs> we, we love but the average stick. person who's not familiar maybe with you know film or the uh -huh. you know the average movie go or you know who's you know, works yeah movie. you can't just show regular people lynch films they just will not know what the actual fuck is happening it's funny but you know what's, we're talking you know what's crazy though you know what's crazy though sorry to interrupt like you're you are right in general Mulholland Drive's kind of the exception, man. I showed one of my ex-girlfriends that movie, and she was as non-Lynchian as you could imagine. I mean, like, she loved, like, the Harry Potter movies and was very much, like, a popcorn movie fan, and she loved Mulholland Drive just because it's so cool. And it's so, like, just you can tell, like, even somebody who's not necessarily attuned to what Lynch is trying to do can tell that there's something bigger going on there. And she was an aspiring actress in L.A. who came out here. So it's like, I feel like she may even have osmosed what he was trying to say. See, I always show them the elephant, man. That seems to be the most digestible. That's probably the most, I yeah. mean, Hollywood, palatable kind of film, because it's, it's, it's a straightforward mm -hmm. narrative. It's just like... Mm -hmm guy has this disorder he's mistreated because of it and bad things happen to him um which fantastic is, performance though yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to to that oh yeah on the whole drive though i know we're supposed to be like talking yeah. about it, but, well i guess no no that's it uh, and i'll tell you when we when we get to blue velvet too i'll tell you guys an amazing true anecdote oh, about that one that you'll love. by the way this date was selected on purpose do you know what happened on september the 19th 1986 no that is the official united states release date of blue velvet oh wow wow so <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you if you bring up blue velvet so i made a movie about uh two and a half years ago now and my, my one of my leads was john malkovich and he's become a really good friend of mine and we were talking after filming about it maybe about a year ago and i was talking to him about movies that he passed on and didn't do and lynch offered him the the dennis hopper role in blue velvet and he passed wow. and he was like i'm so glad i passed because he's like obviously like hopper was just unbelievable but i was like fuck you would have been pretty good too though John. Yeah. <laughs> he's good cool. at being unhinged so that would have been great absolutely but i mean hopper's like that's like one of the greatest performances in movie history but yeah it's yeah, he's fantastic. I, I love that. If he wants to come on, he can. We already did a Spike Jones episode, though. So, Malkovich. Well, he like I can tell you the story of of that and how and Spike didn't tell you about being John Malkovich and how that came to pass. And then the 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 scene, the one of the funniest stories John told was about adaptation and the scene in adaptation where I haven't seen it in a while, but but. I think it's Catherine Keener's character who makes a comment like, I don't want you to be an asshole like that Malkovich guy. And it shows an actual shot of John. It's like actual behind the scene footage of Malkovich yelling at Spike Jones and going, just shoot the fucking movie. And John told the story of that, of what actually happened. 
I can tell you. I mean, this is off topic from Lynch, but you want me to tell you this story? Oh, my God. Run it. Don does not give a fuck about publicity. He does not care. So what happened was after making being John Malkovich, he said Spike called him and said, hey, John, I have this this behind the scenes footage I'd like to use in in my next movie adaptation. And Malkovich said, sure, go ahead, use it, Spike. And he said, well, you might want to watch it. He's like, I don't care. Just use the footage. And he said, no, no, John, like it, it weirdly doesn't portray you in the best light. And John's like, Spike, I don't care. Use the footage. It's fine. So in the scene, he goes, he yells at Spike. He goes, just shoot the fucking scene. So he said, he said, what happened was it was a deleted scene from being John Malkovich in which John Malkovich was in a, in a very hot, small room with, and this is John's language not mine he said i was in a very hot very small room with a bunch of midgets and i said and i said oh wow and he said and what happened was it was very hot and they were starting to faint and he said two of these midgets fainted and i was very concerned for their health and i didn't want to be known as midget killer malkovich so i said i said spike shoot the fucking scene and i yelled at him and that's what happened and i was like man I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that scene being shot. And I was like, dude, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. And that's John. He was, uh, just didn't give a fuck. He was a beautiful, well, beautiful, lovely man. You know, if he wants to, uh, you know, dispel the wisdom of Malkovich on our podcast, we would love to have him. You can let him know ask, that. I will ask him. That would be amazing. I would love that. Um, I wanted to talk about a movie that I think is underrated, guys, of his. And I think it's one of my favorites. Wild at Heart. Oh, yeah, of course. It's amazing. Laura Dern, not the most attractive female in that film ever to grace the planet Earth. Yes, she's unbelievable. Incredible. I mean, Nick Cage is absolutely astonishing in that film. And I know it's it's not uh, Lynch writing it, he's adapting, but god damn, he's so good. I just rewatched that recently. It's unbelievably beautiful. It's just gorgeous. Have you ever, have you ever seen, have you ever seen Laura Dern talk about meeting Lynch for the first time uh, before Blue Velvet? Oh no! But I need. We need to hear this story. She said, "It's you can find the interview, and to paraphrase it, she she said." So Lynch always, always would do meetings at Bob's Big Boy in Burbank. That was like his spot. He he would yes. go there every day. And milkshakes. Yeah. And so she said that she showed up there and she was like 18 or something for, for Blue Velvet. And she said Lynch and Kyle McLaughlin were sitting on the same side of the booth. They were sitting next to each other. And they were drawing like funny little drawings on their napkins and stuff like that, like using ketchup. And she sat down and they were, she's like, I had this moment where I was either going to be like, these are the two weirdest, creepiest motherfuckers I've ever seen, or I absolutely love them so much. And they're so amazing. And she's like, it was the latter. And she's like, and it, that was it. Like I, it was just a love affair from then on, which I was like, Oh, it's thank God. So I love that like until his latest works like she was in the return and she was amazing in that um blue velvet wild at heart and then what else i think that's it but yeah no this uh, wild at um, heart inland empire which one 
or was it in, is it Inland Empire that she's in? Oh, duh, yeah, Inland Empire. I have um, mm -hmm. I have trouble getting through that. One. I have not. I have not finished Inland Empire. I've, I actually have never fully seen. I'll admit. I got an hour and a half in, and I I felt like I got nowhere, and I just didn't have the time or the energy for it. So I have not finished it. Listen, it's a difficult watch, and I can't say I've gotten through it either. You know what I really love is we're about a half hour into this thing and not once have we mentioned Eraserhead. I know. Eraserhead is is incredible. I love that movie. I Honestly, I even love the straight story. Like, that movie's so good. It's rated like, G. It, it's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful movie. It's wholesome and just beautiful. It, I... It's one of those, um, like, definitely very character-driven films where I, I love films that can really pull off just a slice-of-life thing where you're just focusing. It, it reminded me of a more wholesome, like, cozier version of, like, something like Paris, Texas, where you're just roaming. Absolutely. Yeah, roaming. Like, it's almost like a road trip movie. It, it Bones and All. I felt kind of was almost a little derivative of, of movies like that. Not derivative, yeah. like, wrong sense or anything i actually loved it for that yeah, you know you, you know whose work i kind of feel like reminds me of a straight story chloe zows <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit yeah i can see that yeah like she has this this like subtle beautiful touch to these simple easy stories like the writer is such a beautiful easy story i know you reviewed that one for us shay nomadland beautiful easy story she's just such a great director at nuance and touch and i really feel that that's what lynch did with the straight story it's literally a story of an old man on a, on a fucking mower it's a great oh, yeah. movie it's on disney like disney yeah. has it on their platform because it's rated g oh, yeah. it's a beautiful it's a film i know and obviously his masterpiece that we are not forgetting with dune and Dune's actually probably the other one that's more I've seen most recently. <laughs> and I love people who are like, I love the David Lynch Dune. It's good. I, the David Lynch Dune's fucking terrible. It's terrible. And, and I, I'm a huge fan of those books. And, you know, I never wanted to see it adapted by anyone, even David Lynch. And, you know, it's it's pretty bad. Obviously, it has its moments of, of Lynchian insanity that I can appreciate, but it's pretty bad. It's the, definitely the, better if you're not watching it sober. <laughs> the biggest piece of Lynchian, yeah. uh, the biggest piece of Lynchian insanity in the movie is Kyle McLaughlin, of course, because mm. he has to be in everything. Oh. Okay, yeah, it's terrible casting. Yeah, as as a treat, like in Paul's treaties, he was just way too fucking old. Yeah, yeah, he's too old. He's too damn old. Period. Like oh, that's just crazy. Performance of his life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, that movie is insane by the way uh, and this is i think where i'm not a big fan of bill new in general his last couple movies i didn't like the blade runner sequel thought part doom part one was kind of boring really, i'm so glad you said that i've i like like two of his movies and i i think the rest is wildly overrated i love prisoners love prisoners, prisoners. and, and arrival so arrival's and beautiful I Arrival and Prisoners are the only two of his movies that I like, and I actually liked Dune. I like I liked his Dune like more than I liked Lynch's. It's because it's, it's a well-made movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but but I'm not like I don't love Sicario. I don't. 
I don't love I I actively disliked Blade Runner 2049 like Same. I just didn't think it needed to be made like the original Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies and I hate when they do that it just is so mm-hmm. unnecessary so I'm glad you feel the same way because everybody I'm a Ridley Scott fanboy so uh, I'm always gonna be mad when they try to sequelize his movies dude how dope was fucking and again totally off topic i the last duel that movie was fucking dope and nobody fucking talked about it. I thought that movie nobody was saw great. it it's great I, nobody I saw, it. saw it yeah yeah it happens i know although Man, I, watched, something. I, I watched that movie in the theater and there's a fucking car in that movie in the background there's a scene where there's a car driving past that somehow got past all of the editors and everything. And it's always so fascinating to me when that kind of shit happens, like the Starbucks cup from game of Thrones. I'm like, cause like I, I made movies and I like edit them and shit. And like, yeah, we missed stuff, but like not at that level. Listen, you think that David Lynch doesn't give a fuck. Ridley <sighs> Scott does not give one no. single fuck his napoleon is probably gonna have a dude in an abercrombie and fitch shirt in it and i don't give a shit because it's napoleon done by ridley scott and i can't wait to watch this damn thing that's gonna be so good yeah i love it now we mentioned a a lot of his major works here um but i know james especially you and i think somebody else put it in the chat uh, are humongous fans of his short films i haven't seen Mm. a lot of them so what am i missing guys the grandmother the alphabet, Dumbland. Yeah, um, all those. Sure, those are my favorites. The grandmother actually had like a really big impact on me when I was in high school. I that's when I started getting into Lynch. Um, and James, you also spoke on his art. He's an amazing fucking artist. Oh um, my gosh, Small Boy in His Room is my favorite piece of his. That love- that image is is. It's just so. There, I can't have. I can't really have a singular. It, it's like what um. It's like what Adam was saying at the beginning of this episode is that he 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 makes you feel things and sometimes it's just a feeling. Sometimes it's not a word that you can use to describe his work and that that's that's what I get from from his art. I just looked yeah. up this piece that you're talking about, uh, James. It's a lovely but twisted piece. I like it. No, it's yeah, it's. It's it's so it, I, I can't I can't say enough about I can't say anything about it. It's just something you look at and like you 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 see the different features the different the different types of 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 characteristics that this image has. Like the, the most obvious one that comes out is that you know the the boy's like he's holding his head like it's a like it's a balloon. Like it's like it's like it's floating, but then he's also in this very red room, and I I, I assume most of us associate balloons as being red balloons most of the time. So that yeah. also is just another great under. Like it's it's incredible, and his artwork is is, is incredible. I can't. He catch. also made, he also like fucking makes music too. Like dude, yeah. guy, I mean he does everything. He's the man. We talk about his music like real quick. Um, Okay, a lot of people hate his music because he sounds like <laughs> the old man, and, he's, yeah. <laughs> and he is. But it's fantastic. Like, Listen, uh, Tom Waits has been making music sounding like a grumpy old man for fifty years. So, oh, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so, I mean, it is what it is on that. Um, I love I love that you guys are mentioning these these things. Also, I wanted to mention something because it, it sort of just struck me. 
how much more haunting is Lost Highway now that we know Robert Blake definitely kills his wife? Yeah, it's fucked up. Anything that's probably the most explicit thing that happens in the movie. Explicit as yeah. in, oh, that that did happen. Um, yeah. Which it, it, Lost Highway? Oh, Lost Highway. Okay, that's my jam because obviously I brought it up um, in one of our previous episodes where we're talking about um, chosen soundtracks and how they elevate a movie. I chose Lost Highway because, I mean, first of all, it was coordinated by Trent Reznor. Um, Trent will say whatever about it because he's a fucking perfectionist. But I think it was freaking so interesting and so cool and so fantastic. You have Trent on it. You have Battle of Many. You have uh, Ramstein, Smashing Pumpkins, um, and dot, 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 some other artists. Anytime the pumpkins are involved, it's a win. I know. And Trent and and Nine Inch Nails, man. I mean, that song from Lost Highway is fucking fire, too. I it's just like the perfect drug. It's so good. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Trent's a genius. Back when, like, movie, movie soundtracks were like the shit, and you could just sit there and listen to The Crow or like a lot. That was another one on our list. That was also on your list. I picked that one, and it was on our list. A lot of the movies was for, were from the 90s. Oh, yeah, of course. What's that? I think I chose the crow on that. Episode. You might have, but I, James picked Natural Born Killers, which is also a Trent Reznor soundtrack. Yeah, you know what soundtrack makes me the most nostalgic for that era too is Train Spotting, dude. That movie oh, has we, such a fucking Gina dope picked soundtrack. that one. Gina Crazy. picked that one. Yeah. I picked Empire Records, which is the most nineties yeah, soundtrack. Amazing. Yeah, it is. That is pretty nineties, and like. Yeah, no, you're right about that one. That was and like hackers too always gets me. Like had like uh, if I could had like the 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 Halcyon and on and on. Yeah, that fucking. It's funny. I just rewatched The Faculty yesterday, and it starts out with an Offspring song, and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm writing a I'm writing a script right now that's about. It's the one I'll make after the next one I'm doing after Nandor, and it's uh. It's about the like soft core porn industry in the nineties, like the and it's called Skinamax. That's exactly so the perfect title. Yeah, I've just incorporated, <laughs> you, it, you know what I mean, and I, I've been incorporating a lot of nineties music into the the script. So yeah, it's my era, man. I love that shit. That whole the whole soundtrack, the whole score could just be really bad saxophone solos. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, or like. Like, there's this like African song because I've been watching. I've watched a lot of these like '90s softcore like oh, these God. bizarre like like they have like real movie stars in them. Some of them too. Like David Duchovny is in like one of these ones. Like it's crazy. And there's like you know <laughs> they, 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 like a certain age of men. Like we can, like I mean I don't know how old y'all are. I mean I'm 41, and so like. There was this time back in the 90s, as we all know, where it was like a movie came out and then it was in the theaters for a couple months or if it was good. And then it went to Blockbuster and then it went to the movie channels, which were like HBO, Cinemax and Stars. And then the movie channels at like 10 p.m. started showing like porn. But it was like it was like it had a plot and it had real production value and real actors and terrible music and fucking but but you would only see asses and tits and like never any like penetration or anything like that. And everything and they were was from so behind, fun. like a like yeah, a there was a thing in the foreground. The yeah, and there was like Emmanuel, and there were all these like series of shows and stuff like that. And they were fascinating to me, like in retrospect, because like they put a lot of 
of work into these things. Like these were movies, you know, like, and so anyway, the, the script I'm writing is about like a frustrated indie film director who like finds himself, his career is kind of ruined and he directs one of these things. And so anyway, the, uh, not to get on a tangent on that, but the, the music is definitely, I've been like scouring the, like all the nineties songs that I loved and, and put incorporating them. So. Nice. You're in that fine line of like, you know, what we can show and what we can't show. And now it's like, yeah. you, and HBO and it, you know, Game of Thrones, for example, there's full on, mm-hmm going on you know you know penetration of course but like frontal oh yeah they're showing well, at least boobies but yeah there's some shlongas right i don't think i uh, know they they couldn't show the shlongas apparently it's shlongus. not enough shlongas not enough shlong <laughs> i literally hey this this subject i literally just wrote a scene in, in my script about that <laughs> oh my god it'll Where be fun penises? Yeah, that's literally what the scene is about, the one I just wrote. So anyway, it, it's uh, I'm excited to finish this script. I have an actor, I have a really amazing, very well-known actor that wants to do it. And so when it's done, we're going to polish it up and hopefully it'll be the next one that I shoot. Once we this won't make God you tell us who it is. We won't make you. <laughs> I won't say it rhymes with Mon Jalkovich, but I'm not giving any more. No, I'm just kidding. John's not doing it. John- <laughs> I'll try to put I'll try to put John in this one, but right now he's he's directing a play in Latvia right now, and he just had eye surgery. So I don't know, he's he's not uh, not acting right this second. But yes, I will obviously hit him up and say you need to do this. Yes, we would love to have him on. We'll talk about just his movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's another that's another subject I could talk about for a long time because when when. And again, I, you guys stop me if I go on a tangent or whatever. I, I attaching Malkovich to my movie was one of the strangest experiences of my filmmaking career. I had this neighbor who was this weird, strange old woman who walked her dog every morning, and she would always talk to me, and she was lovely. And I knew she was like some kind of actress back in the day, but I had no idea who the hell she was. And she was talking to me about my movie and I was like, I wrote this movie called Chariot and I'm starting to cast it and I'm going to shoot it in Arkansas. And she's like, Oh, who do you want to have in it? And I said, honestly, my dream villain in this is John Malkovich. And she was like, I know John. And I was like, Oh really? And so she's like, give me the script. I'll send it to him. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Cause I'm, and then so she forwards me an email from, from John Malkovich. And it's like, I love the script. It's incredible. I want to do it. I was like, okay, cool. She's like, okay, he wants to zoom with you. I'm like, none of this is through his fucking agent. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, sounds good. And it's like Christmas day or it's like two, it's like the day before Christmas in 2000 in 2021. And I get this zoom link and she's like, okay, John will be on there. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Let's go. I get, I, I get on 30 minutes an hour later no, John. I'm like, okay, fuck, this is fucking ridiculous. She she fucking conned me. I knew it. And then about an hour and a half after the scheduled time, Zoom, I get an email when you, when somebody enters the Zoom thing and it says John Malkovich has entered your Zoom. And I'm like at the grocery store, like scramble for my phone. <laughs> and there's John. He's like, hey, Adam, I read your script and it's beautiful. I didn't, I, I don't want to change a word. I'm in. Book my flight. 
And I'm like, okay, well, we should talk to your agent, you know, whatever. He said, oh, fine, if you call my agent, if you like, but this is what I think the character should wear. And I was like, okay, cool. And it was the easiest, like, attachment of an actor ever. It was beautiful. Anyway. That's so cool. By the way, whatever casting that. can be absolute hell. So the fact that that was just that easy is just It was crazy. Beautiful. And through my neighbor who walks her ugly little dog and I was sure was full of shit. I was positive she was trolling me. I was like, I know John Malkovich. I was like, oh, sure. Like Malkovich with like two C's or something in the last name or like J-O-H-A-N or Johan Malkovich. But no, no, mm-hmm. it was a real guy. Yeah. Love that. See, I love that. David Lynch uh, hey. story, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. What what's going on here? He hasn't done a proper feature in um, about fifteen years, guys. What's going on there? Lynch. Oh, Lynch. Yeah. Well, what's stopping Scorsese? I mean, Scorsese's one hundred and twenty well, years old. Well, Lynch? Scorsese. I mean, you know, he. I think Scorsese also works very hard to get funding for his projects, even though he is Martin Scorsese. He's yeah. talked about it at length how silence took so long to make because you know it was so different from what he'd done and yeah but silence is about two portuguese priests trying to find another portuguese priest that's kind of hard to get made yeah Yeah. but you know the irishman also took a while as well yeah absolutely i think i think if i had to give my answer to your question directly it's i don't know how many people will finance lynch's movies right now because i think that scorsese's movies make money and no matter what he has, it, he, he, you know, and, and I'm sure Lynch, I, and I think he, James is right too. I, I kind of get the feeling James, Lynch kind of just doesn't really care at this point. Like, cause I'm sure if he, I know pretty much any actor wants to work with John. So he could probably go the traditional route of, you know, calling Leo DiCaprio or somebody and being like, you want to do my movie? And then it would get financed because of them. But you know, I, I just kind of get the sense he, he's satisfied just making his little YouTube videos and, you know, doing TM. Yeah, I'll I'll build on that, Adam, even. Is, I, I think, I, I don't know if you ever saw the clip of him directing The Return where he's not allowed to, you know, go dreamy and, and, and do things his way. I think the landscape of how films are made have, have changed quite a bit over the yeah. course of the last 20 years and i think that art form might not have evolved yeah. in a way that suits his mind yeah no you're right i mean it's yeah i mean i think outside of the scorsese's who just get a blank check to make their movies i mean uh, nandor you, you saw nandor obviously like uh, as part of the whole thing in an interview i mean i shot nandor in 24 days you know which is like crazy considering it's a fucking period very tight yeah yeah that's a lot of intricate stuff you know and i just don't know if that i don't know how well lynch would do in that under those parameters because there's a lot of background stuff going on there too so yeah the fact that you shot it in 24 days is kind of crazy yeah it takes like five years off my life every time i make a movie so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes it so really you're about 57 years old then. <laughs> uh, yeah exactly pretty much yeah gotcha makes sense I, I i love this discussion and we're gonna pause it just for a second so that we can mention we're we just mentioned nandor fordor and the talking mongoose and it comes out on bod today adam can you tell people about your movie so that they can go rent it 
Sure. Yeah, I love talking about Lynch. I don't want to talk too much about my own stuff, but it, you know, it, yeah, it's uh, it's Simon Pegg and Minnie Driver and Christopher Lloyd and Neil Gaiman. Those are my leads in it, and it's got this supporting cast of amazing British, awesome character actors and this unbelievable DP named Sarah Dean, who she's just like the movie looks incredible, and it's a true story about from the 1930s on the Isle of Man about a paranormal investigator who investigated a a talking mongoose living in the walls of a family of farmers named the Irvings and it's very strange it's it's a dark comedy and it's fun and I and you know go go check it out it has some themes in it that I think are pretty interesting and I've I've you some people have seen it and, and we did some premieres and a lot of screenings and stuff. And I loved getting DMS from people talking about it and the, the thoughts that it made them think, you know, which has been great. And I have seen it and it is weird as shit. And then our, our lovely co-host Jason Simone's working on a short film herself. Tell everybody about this and go ahead and plug your funding. Hey, so this is a I'm saying it's my directorial debut but I was just brought on to the project because I love genre filmmaking and wanted to hit directing at some point and uh my husband ha happens to be starring in it as the lead oh <laughs> and uh yeah I'm working with friends and family to make it a thing it's called I'm everywhere you can find it on Instagram at I'm underscore everywhere underscore official it is a prequel to Lordus is a Lord of Darkness. And we're actually, this is a huge announcement, but we're actually making it a genre anthology in which it all takes place within um, this universe about vampires, um, but it's all going to be directed by women and minorities, minority women. Um, I myself am a minority. Uh, I'm a Filipino Jewish person. And um, yeah, our, our staff is, very diverse most of our producers are either native or filipino and uh yeah we've been working hard on the production very gothic very um i took a lot of inspiration from 2000s action movies dark fantasy movies like blade queen of the damned bringing back that kind of nostalgia but also visually um a lot of giallo filmmaking it's going to be very colorful and a lot of blood is going to be in it and um well, i just got a stop motion animator on board fabiana shabbat Bobby's the shit. I love her. She's actually been on our podcast before, actually, um, talking about animated movies and all that. Yeah. If you guys are interested in um, more about the film, definitely check out the Instagram. We have an Indiegogo, but yes. anywhere is, is very helpful, especially considering um, this installment and in the, the series in general is tackling kind of these social issues. Um, while in you know in a way kind of satirizing everything like he plays a maniacal literal energy vampire in which he gets to get away with stuff in his mm -hmm. industry because of his connections but he's also a vampire so it's funny and absurd um <laughs> but yeah it's really fun it, it it kind of it recounts certain experiences that myself and the the creator lordis have also experienced um, and Destiny Soria, who's working on a Christmas slasher right now, which he was also in, and she's amazing. So yeah, definitely check it out, please. And um, awesome. yeah, I'm definitely excited to have my my other projects coming out afterwards. Which Lost guys, Highway influence for the stuff. That's dope, guys. Yeah. Give her your money; she's gonna put it to good use. 
Go click on her Indiegogo link. Go give her some money so she can make this happen. Make make this happen. Because, you know, every time she puts work together, it's usually high quality and good stuff. She's way smarter than me. So, you know, that helps. Uh, She's way smarter than our resident white guy, James, over here. Um, (laughs) Which, James is smarter than me, too. So, that's not saying much. Oh, you're too late. James, you you know you're a white boy, but your Spanish is as good as mine. And I respect that. We can clash with our Espanol. So yeah, but, yeah, we yeah. can definitely butt, we can butt heads. <laughs> it's what we do, dog. It's what we do. Now let's Siempre get back así, to... Compa. Exactamente. Ya now so, let's yeah. get back to what we were talking about, which is the legend, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. David Lynch. Guys, Did we mention... Been... Sorry, which... go ahead. No, I was going to say, he's been making movies since the late 60s. So this guy has been doing it for 50 years now 60 years now what were you going to interrupt me to say james yeah i was uh i uh i dipped out a little bit for the conversation earlier because because of some connection errors but i don't know if we if we mentioned the elephant man at all we did a little bit yes we mentioned how it's probably the most digestible of his films due to the fact that it's just a biopic yeah it's the one that honestly like gave him his career to be honest. I mean, a razor head, like, but it, yeah, the elephant man was like, what made people be like, okay, cool. Like it, it bought him so much leeway, you know, to make a lot of his other crazy shit. Right. That's when yeah. he's, or at least uh, for a, wasn't it John or no, it was the special effects makeup, right. That uh, got him nominated for Oscars. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, and I'm barely certain hurt either one. I know he was nominated, but I don't know if he won. Yeah. Yeah, well, it led to the creation of the best makeup category. Yeah, yeah, that because, makes sense. Yeah, because you know there wasn't anything. Yeah, it's dope to, to award. So, yeah, yeah. No, no, much, let's... By, by the way, like we shouldn't let it go unremarked. Like Young Lynch was really good looking, right? Like he was a stud, man, with the hair. Like he was definitely like <laughs> yeah. in like the style. Yeah, I mean, the guy's been the... married four times. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> he had a kid in 2010 or something like that in his 60s. So, I mean, kudos to him, man. He's the man. Oh, okay. Shots yeah. Chad Lynch. Listen, man. Listen, man. He'd be slanging that thing, bro. That's just how he do. That's yeah. just how he do. And you know what? I respect him for it because if I'm still going in my 60s and not dead, Doing it right. Mm-hmm. Hanging a mangy. Because I don't know if I'm going to make it that far. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> if I make it that far, that'll be a damn miracle. So, uh, Elephant Man was nominated for eight Oscars. It did not win any of them. Wow. Eight Oscars. That is, that's crazy. What was it nominated for? <clears throat> best Picture. Best uh, Actor in a Leading Role. Best Director. Best Writing. Original sc- uh, a Screenplay uh, Adapted from Another Medium. Best art direction, costume design, film editing, and music original score for John Morris. Oh my God. Well, yo, Andy was... Coates has won like six editing Oscars and she didn't win it for this one. That's crazy. That's, and she's like that, one that of the crazy. best editors to ever like walk the face of the planet. So. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. 
I always, it'll, it'll, it'll piss me off too. I know if I go on there and look at what it lost to and shit, like I love, I love to do that and just fucking piss myself off by like going on and like seeing what these fucking movies lost. Like it, it makes me very angry to do this. I don't like to talk about it because every time I look at what won over Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, I want to throw shit across a room. What about like one, one over uh, Mulholland Drive? Well, I don't want to. Uh, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. These aren't even like some of the most egregious ones. I mean, you you can, you can look at the history of the Oscars, and it's just like, what the fuck were they thinking? It's wild, man. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy. Nineteen ninety nine was so stacked, though. Like American Beauty won year. Best oh, Picture. Oh. It was crazy, bro. That is a year. Yeah, ninety yeah. nine's insane. I mean, eighty seven, where I, the year I was born, is insane too. But like ninety nine's incredible. I literally did this rant on my stories about a month ago, probably before, you know, if you followed me about each year of the 90s and just going through the movies that came out from like 94, 95, 96, 90. It's it's depressing. I mean, it's like and and it's like not even counting the year of like Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, like 93 out like in the same. Yeah. Like it's 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 insane. Like looking at any given year and like they just keep getting better and better and better you know it's insane how good that year how good those years are and by the way i want to talk about that because spielberg did both those movies in the same year that's almost (laughs) as good as the director of gone with the wind also doing wizard of oz in the same year which is also ridiculous yeah yeah like that's a one-two punch that's this this is what i love about these sort of conversations when we talk about directors we usually pick directors who don't have a lot of work in major yeah. films like the last one of these we did was billy wilder who didn't who had a bunch of stuff but it was all like sort of spread out and then spike yeah. is the only other director we've done one of these for and yeah. again spike has very like spread out films but he's got a lot of music videos kind of like lynch here a lot of short stuff in between i mean david lynch has never dressed up as an old woman in makeup before like spike has but i digress you know yeah um He's also a lot yeah. older than yeah. Spike is. Um, but I, I just yeah. think it's so cool when we do these because we get to sort of experience and talk about all these films and how they affect us differently because it's so funny to see a director's vision like a David Lynch where you're watching Eraserhead and you don't know what the fuck is happening the first half an hour of the movie. And then yeah. as you settle into it, you still don't know what's happening. And by the end of it, you're still confused as to what you just saw. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I no. love what you said earlier, Adam. And that is uh, that is one hundred percent true. If you're just vibing with what the hell he's doing, it's a much better experience than if you try to yeah. analyze it or psychoanalyze what he's doing. Yeah, no, totally. By the there's way, no I, go go ahead. No, I, I'm just agreeing with Will. There's no need to overanalyze it. There, yeah. there's there really is no totally. Uh, by the way, I just have to say this. You mentioned '93. I'm just going to tell you this real quick. So 1994, literally that that year, Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, The Lion King, Leon the Professional, Clerks, Interview with the Vampire, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, Natural Born Killer, The Hudsucker Proxy, Ed Wood, Quiz Show, Speed, Three Colors White, The Crow, Chunking Express. Like, this is one year, and it was, like, kind of a down year in the 90s. Like, it wasn't, like, the oh-my-God years, you know? And you like, still got like, the best films out of some of these directors. Uh, it's crazy. Like, like people fucking don't, like, it really is sad how the industry has 
like you know these movies have just died like this this you know the yeah, like, those the, years. yeah yeah it is but anyway i had to i had to just say that because i i did this on my on my stories and it was making me so depressed during this but anyway, i think we're gonna do that for one episode we're gonna pick a year landon Tell Shay this. We're gonna pick a year and we're just gonna talk crap or talk positive about whatever came out that year, and yeah. you know we'll throw some shit at a, at a dartboard and see what year comes up. But I think that would yeah. be a lot of fun to do. If it's that. a year in the nineties, you're probably gonna be very depressed. So yeah, but I like depressing movies. So like, if you look at my top five favorite movies, like four of them are depressing. So yeah, no, I mean, dude, I'm more depressed just with like the fact that now. There's usually maybe five movies in any given year that I absolutely love. Like that I'm just like, I mean, really, actually, I take that back. There's usually two, you know, two or three that in one year now where I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to be thinking about this movie for years to come. You know, and back then it was like a dozen in a year that I still think about to this day. You know, it's funny. I just saw the first one of those for me this year, literally three days ago. I finally watched Past Lives, and it's going to stick with me probably the rest of the year. Yeah, that was, yeah. I, this year, I've actually seen a few that I really enjoyed. I, I, I very much, uh, it, it, similar to how I find Villeneuve to actually be a bit overrated, I hope this you don't kick me off the podcast, but I actually find Chris Nolan to be pretty overrated. I'm not like, a Nolanite, so you're good. So, but... I loved Oppenheimer and I saw it at I'm friends with one of the vice presidents of IMAX. And so I got to see it here in LA at the, it has to be the biggest fucking movie screen on the West coast. I mean, it's absolutely gargantuan. I saw it in 70 millimeter and I was going into it. So like, you know what? This shouldn't matter. Like I was like, if it's a good movie, it's a good movie. I can watch it on an airplane and it'll be dope. I don't care about the spectacle. I don't care about this. Like I, I care about them, but they're not going to make the experience for me and it 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 was pretty incredible i i'll be honest like i was pretty awestruck by how taken i was by that film and again from somebody who's really liked two chris nolan movies out of all the movies that he's made that everybody loves i i love love memento that that i thought that movie was just brilliantly constructed and i love the dark knight and then the rest of his movies i kind of can take or leave i love that you i mean same well, first of all, thank you for being honest, because I absolutely feel the same. And Nolan is so prestiged. Ha, get it? Because the prestige. Yeah. Um, well, Nolan wasn't that. But, yeah. <laughs> but I Forever. think he's a lot like uh, Villeneuve, because I think he makes gorgeous movies. He knows the right people. He reels in the right people. He knows oh. how to make a movie look gorgeous. He knows how to direct his actors and and reel in the coolest like most like craziest performances but narratively I always end up having some sort of issue with his films narratively uh, I, I might get crucified for this but um I read and studied the screenplay for Interstellar before actually like watching the movie mm. and I, I adored I'm a storyboard artist also so I loved the storyboards that he different and when um they're going into the black hole I loved how minimalist it was it felt very 2001 a space odyssey but when I actually saw the actual movie I was just like okay great performance by Matthew McConaughey and then I was bored and, I mean, great, and great great music the yeah, fucking yeah. score was insane. Was incredible. The movie is yeah. 
solely just as like visuals for the soundtrack. That, that's listen, and that's what I, that's that's what frustrated me so much about Nolan was I actively disliked Dunkirk, and my brother loved it, and it was like a fucking music video to me. Like, I, and and I like Tarantino was like it's the greatest movie ever made, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I just like. I didn't, I didn't care about any of the characters at all. I'm such a script guy. And then Interstellar, I was like, eh, it was okay. And then I hated Tenet. I just didn't even get hated it at all. Tenet. And, and even fucking, and, and, and the one that people get the most angry with me about is Inception. Like, I really, really wanted to like Inception. I, I saw it in the theaters and visually it was stunning, but it was fucking confusing. And I'm pretty smart and I can figure a movie out but I don't, it, it didn't make sense in some aspects of it. And, and it, it, it just, to me, it felt like a lot of sort of like magic and like, Hey, look at this. But then when you really try to break it down, it was just like, what, like, what the fuck happened? So, the perfect version of Inception already exists though. Which was, which one? Eureka. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, which does it in a much more refined way for sure. And yeah. And, and just, and again, like I, I, much as I could say these things, I truly love the dark Knight. Like I fucking love that movie. Like to me, like that, the, the, the scene on the boats is so perfect. Like it, that, that movie is a masterpiece in my opinion. Like, in, and like everybody gets caught up on Heath Ledger's performance and it's amazing, but it's, it's a truly beautiful story, in my opinion, about human behavior. And, and I I will, that and Memento will always have a place in my heart. But, but overall, I think, but again, going back to Oppenheimer, I fucking loved Oppenheimer. Like, like to me, like the, the star of Oppenheimer was just the editing, man. I couldn't believe how much I, I it, like I was there for the ride. Like I went into it thinking I was actually going to dislike it and I really enjoyed it. So, so I'll say I'm a few just... things on this. Cause I, I, yeah. I I'm, I'm with you here. You got, you, you said that you said Shay that interstellar reminded you of 2001 a space, obviously a little bit. Well, there was a movie that came out this year that straight up shot for shot 2001 a space odyssey in its opening sequence. And I thought it was brilliant. Barbie. Yeah. You got me. <laughs> like, excuse me. Barbie, yeah. it, it did, in fact. Uh, but to your point about The Dark Knight, I think it's the second best superhero film ever made behind The Crow, uh, yeah. which is the greatest. Um, yeah. I, I, it is a human story, even though it's about a dude in a bat suit and a guy mm -hmm. with a bunch of makeup on that are diametrically dude. opposed to one another. It's literally the juxtaposition of humanity displayed out as two characters. It's not the first time we've seen it. It won't be the last time, but it's, it's all about perfect. how you deliver it. And they he did a great job of delivering it. And another guy that's very good at delivering these things is the, is our subject of today's episode, Mr. David Lynch. I think he's yeah. another guy who's very good at getting these characters. Guys, you already know I'm the best when it comes to reeling it back in. Come on now. <laughs> so what, uh, so what you're saying, it's, so it's what you're saying Lynch, Lynch hasn't made a movie in a long time. He should direct a fucking Marvel movie. That's what you're saying. You're saying Boom. Lynch should do a Marvel movie. Give him okay, the Booster Gold movie. David Lynch. Give him the Booster Gold. He's already mm -hmm. made one Disney movie. He made the straight story. Fuck it. It's time. Give him the Booster <laughs> Gold movie now. Bring him in at Comic-Con. Watch how people react. Kevin Feige in his cap. We have one more thing to show you. David Lynch, David, David Lynch is fantastic for 
Oh my yeah. god. It'd be the Fantastic weirdest shit. Fantastic Four by David Lynch. Done. I'm in. <laughs> my reintroduction. I'll, that's the first Marvel movie I'll watch. Let's do it. God. What a horror yeah. film that's going to be. Oh, God. I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, starring, starring, Kyle, starring Kyle McLaughlin as Mr. Fantastic, obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Obviously. You know, yeah. he's probably going to get uh, Laura Dern as Invisible Woman. Yeah. I'm Nic- in. Nicholas Cage is a thing. So you know. Oh, I'm fucking so in. Yeah. Now I'm in. Now I need to see this. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Nick Cage yeah. was um, Superman, and it was oh, yeah. directed by Tim Burton. Yeah. Landon, we actually Landon. interviewed the director of the documentary about that. Oh right! Uh, like the yeah. week before he died. Whoa! Amazing. Great doc. I actually watched the movie. Like it's just like Stanford oh, and what Batman. a what a freaking cock block <laughs> that Thanks. movie. Yeah, and that director's like a foot taller than me, so it was kind of awkward. Long hair, Superman. When you do your Nick Cage podcast, please bring me back on, because that's another subject I have a lot of strong feelings about. I'm going to tell you right now that the second that we do a Nick Cage podcast, it's going to be uh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. I When I was shooting... Go ahead. My my mother and my dad saw Nicolas Cage with his young Asian wife at at the big Whole Foods here in Vegas, at a vegan restaurant, and they were staring at him. It was the whole, you know, that song where they it was like she was looking at me and I was looking at her and I was in <laughs> that whole yeah. thing. And he was wearing like um like uh one of his bomber like motorcycle jackets but they said it was like all pink with a bunch of pink patches on it wow i love it that's beautiful yeah when when i was shooting nandor simon and i did movie night twice a week and we did i think we did four day four nick cage movies because simon and I, simon and i discovered about each other that we were massive nick cage fans and so <laughs> we, we did a lot of Nick Cage movies, <clears throat> some that he had not seen and some that I had not seen. He had never seen Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. And That's a great performance. It's one of my favorite Cage performances. And uh, and we watched, he was like, what the fuck did I just watch? It was beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, it was Listen, great. the fact that Simon Pegg hasn't seen that movie, thank you for remedying that. Thank he you for remedying that. that, yeah. Because we, we when, he, when he and I were talking early on, we talking about just movies that have like inspired me. And I was explaining how Raising Arizona was the movie that actually inspired me to become a, a writer, you know, and write films. And, you know, and he has a Raising Arizona tattoo. He has the, the, the tattoo for the, the, the Roadrunner tattoo that the villain guy has in that. And so I w- talked about that and then we get talked about Cage and I, you know, anyway, yeah, that's fun. I'm in Peg, you fucking legend. Yeah, he's the legend. He really is. Love that well, guy. You know, another, another. Yeah. Well, you were, you, Adam, you were talking about, you know, um, what was, what was the phrase? Uh, what the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. Yeah. I think that can, I think that can be applied to a number of, um, of, of Lynch scenes as well. Oh and, God, yes. And one, one that comes to mind is the diner sequence from Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on that scene because that's probably the scene that stuck out to me the most when yeah. I first saw Mulholland Drive. I saw that movie when I was 13. Yeah. And it was a very 
impactful experience. I haven't seen it since. I have a very vague memory of what it was. The word you're looking for, James, is traumatized. Yeah, well, it's it's funny. I'll admit this on this podcast for the first time ever. I think I saw that movie when I was probably 17 or so, because that was when it came out. And I was legitimately had nightmares about that scene. And I was actually afraid to rewatch that movie for probably 15 years. Like people, I would be like, I love Mulholland Drive. It was so dope. But I was scared. Like I was like, fuck that. Movie. Yeah, it's a ter- it's that terrifying. Scene. It's a terrifying yeah, scene. Fuck, terrifying. Yeah, I was scared as shit. And then I, you know, as an adult, rewatched it and was like oh, expecting it. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. But but in what's so crazy about that scene is like, it fucking watch it on watch it on mute and it's not scary it's like the, the the way he scares the shit out of you with the sound design and that scene is incredible that that's another thing about that sound design it's that i don't know if you guys have noticed but I, i've noticed this through the films i've watched of mr lynch uh I, I saw blue velvet the other night and then the elephant man last night and then i know for that diner scene in Mulholland drive there's there's sort of a this muffled thunder echo that seems to rumble underneath uh, certain scenes in his films. It's terrifying. um, Really interesting filmmaker who uses the same tactic very often in his filmmaking is uh, Gaspar Noé. Um, Yeah. Oh, really? Man's crazy. Yeah, he's crazy. Watch Climax. Uh, I, I I would say I'm a, like a good majority of his films. He just sneaks that in there. Um, Enter the Void, I'm sure, has a lot of... Well, also, Enter the Void has those awful, awful jump scare scenes where you are you just get hit by a car over and over again. Um, in that scene by Lynch, the diner scene had that impression on me. For me, I, I don't... I, I love Mulholland Drive, and I've seen it multiple times. For some reason, I can never remember how I feel during the the diner scene other than like leading up to the the dumpster I just don't I never can re- recollect I actually am or feel leading up to it so I must I must have been scared maybe I repressed it but leading up to that moment you know uh, other than the sound well uh, like paired with the sound design you have this incredible sense of paranoia and urgency to where you you feel this betrayal from the actors it's almost like you know you get the the paranoia the urgency it's almost like the characters are working in in the universe of the film with the film itself as a character in this state of sort of psychosis like for me it's very much like a psychosis type moment you know when a character just delves into something in their emotions so deeply that it reels it, he reels you into it, into that moment of what that could be and simulate that so harshly and so like, rah, scary face. But it works because it, it really puts you in the moment of what that must have felt like to the, the character. And I that's the, mo- that's the main thing for me that I remember because I, I, I've had my moments where I could relate to to whatever that character was feeling like they're after they're, they're after me they're after me this thing's gonna happen and the thing about lynch's films that you also have to understand is they come from a place of non-reality they come from a place of um high like not hyper but the opposite of high, i guess surrealism is the basic way that you could put it but he 
creates from a place of, of a dream state, which if you are familiar with Lynch, he has a YouTube where he talks, he just meditates. He, he encourages, you know, um, that kind of stuff. It's really fascinating where he comes from. And there's this quote that I remember from him specifically on how he creates these things is he just says, you have to be forgiving on your mind state. And ideas are like trouts that you fish for. They'll come to you. You just got to reel them in and then you have it. Throw mm -hmm. it in there. You know, it's, it's the subconscious that he really preys upon. And that scene is so famous and so remarkable because, it, I mean, you can kind of condense how he utilizes his works and, and kind of manipulates the viewer just through that yeah. scene, and, you know, simulating that state of the dream state and this, you know, yeah. into Bless you. Yeah. you guys you guys ever watch a, a nature documentary and you see a snake coiling up coiling up coiling up ready to ready to strike ready to strike that's the diner scene in this movie the whole time you're watching the snake coil and you're like where the fuck is he gonna snap when is it gonna snap and then this creepy ass old guy just shows up and holy fuck there it is yeah especially fuck. I forget. I forget. She was. I think she was in Twin Peaks. I could be wrong. She's also the nun. So creepy. Is she really? Mm, no. Yeah. Who did you ask? It was in Twin Peaks. The the hobo, the scary hobo. Dude. Oh wait, no. Everybody, everybody was on fucking Twin Peaks. <laughs> Between the two seasons of the show and the movie, like every actor known to man is in in it in some capacity. Oh my god, it was. It's the nun, Bonnie Aarons. Oh my god, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, I have a I have a meta question for you. How how do people watch this podcast? Because I I'm, I was just, was just curious. Is it's usually website? audio. It's audio, and it's on every podcast format ever so spotify Wherever you get your podcast i would Got recommend it. spotify because every single month shay puts together a beautiful uh cover art and so what it She's is, is this logo Ooh. behind me changes every month to to reflect whatever our theme is so that's i'm probably gonna have a racer head hair this month or something weird i love it um, well, i will share <laughs> i will share the, i'll share the hell out of it What's your what, what's your favorite? What are your, like your three favorite Lynch scenes out of all of his stuff? Oh, oh, okay. So from the, the scene where they're in the theater, um, Naomi and mm -hmm. the actress, I can't remember her name, but they're in the theater. They're both blonde, and for some reason, <laughs> Naomi yeah. has this whole fantasy about her her crush, her lover, resembling her and needing her, needing needing her needed needing to be protected by her and they're both watching um this singer and they're completely lit in blue and they're both crying together and it's yeah strange, very like kind of just like really disturbing emotional scene but i thought it was also just really beautiful because at the yeah. end, you know her you know that her character because of the twist that happens and how the movie turns its face on you it's real face on you yeah actually like terrifying and you could say that the hobo jump scare is kind of the condensed foreshadowing sure. of what what the actuality of the movie is but that scene in particular i thought was so beautiful and and so sad it was it's mm -hmm. really sad because it reflects the entire mindset of 
where this is all actually coming from. Yeah. What else? It's a good one. Definitely something from from Firewalk with me. I think yeah. it's probably the last scene from Firewalk with me. Is yeah. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, that's all. But I love Laura Palmer. She's one of my favorite female characters. I think David Lynch, as much as he kind of writes the same kind of female character over and over again, I think that's also him exploring things through those female characters and that kind of trauma. Um, but I think he also does it very well. <laughs> so definitely yeah. with me. I have then, a countdown on mine, so I'll, when you're done, I'll get to my countdown. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of what else. Um, maybe I, I I'm just gonna bring it up because it's a lot more obscure, and I don't have to think about it as much. But from his short, The Grandmother, which is about um child abuse and trauma and um family ties and all of that, it's about this little boy. Um, who's like straight edge and he has no support system. He's abused by his um, mother and all this stuff. So he finds um, a root for a seed and he grows himself a grandmother, like a, like a caretaker and all of that. But I think um, from that, and it, it actually ended up impacting a lot of my work in high school. I explored a lot of that kind of stuff and those colors and that kind of That's stuff. Awesome. Yeah, it, the use of color that Lynch and it's a really early work of his like that's I think that's when he just came out of art school or when he was still in art school around the time that he made six men getting sick which is one of my favorite art pieces from him um, yeah um there's a scene where he uses the color yellow um you could say oh it represents this it represents that the kid pisses his bed and he tries hard to like wipe it out of the, his bed and hide it and all of this stuff and then his parents like um you know, come in and they abuse him. And that's pretty much the inciting incident for him to grow a grandmother. Um, and I don't know why. It's just like a weird core memory <laughs> that I have pertaining to his works. Amazing. I love that. Those are great. I love that. Yes. <laughs> um, I guess I'll, I'll do my countdown. Number three is the car ride in Blue Velvet. Dennis Hopper yeah. is in his fucking mind. Yeah. Uh, number two. Snakeskin jacket, wild at heart. Love that scene. It's punk rock as fuck. Yes, we just saw. We just watched that before this. Actually, <laughs> I'm like the oldest. That, I love how he throws a cigarette, and it's like, why would you go to do a close up of the cigarette? But he did it anyway. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, he just does whatever. <laughs> and then number one is the baby scene in Eraserhead because I've never seen some shit like that in my life. <laughs> the most fucked up shit ever. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That ended up influencing um, um, what's his name Hideo Kojima um, in creating that scary, terrifying baby monster that talks to you in uh, Silent PT. Hills. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. What about you, James? Well, if I had to go with three, I mean, number one's gonna be the the dream, the dream diner sequence from from Holland Drive. And just to circle back one more time, I'm not going to gush about it too much, but I love the fact that it takes place in broad daylight. It's yeah. probably the biggest standout for me. Totally. Um, simply amazing. Uh, so, and then for, for the next two, I'm trying to think of what scene in Blue Velvet is the best, because I love the car ride as well. Well, that's a good one sure. that I mentioned. I mean, Dennis Hopper, what a, 
what a performance from Dennis Hopper. That is yeah. just absolutely so maniacal and childish. Yeah. Same time, very sadistic and and very macho in a very yeah. obscure way. Um, yeah, I'd have to go with the car rides by second. Then third, uh, I. I, I love the elephant man so much. The train yeah. scene, uh, the train oh. station scene and the elephant man when, yeah. uh, when he gets back from, you know, being abducted by his, by his owner and he's back in London and people are running into him and they're chasing after him. And, you know, he has that great line. He's, he's not an animal. He's a human being. It's just that, yeah. that scene. Right. Was, it's it's yeah. a cross between that and, and the final scene of the film which yeah. marries the accessible biopic nature with how Lynch wanted to cap things off um, yeah. by having that apparition at the end. That was yeah. a very beautiful merriment of, of, of the two. So yeah, yeah, those are, those are the amazing. three. That's amazing. That's great. I think if I had, if I had to get him, say my three, it would be, I actually love the opening scene of Blue Velvet. That's my that's my mm. favorite fucking scene. Seductive as hell. Where it goes down into the bugs and shit. Because I honestly wondered, like, like considering the time, it was not like an easy scene to make. Like, like the the it's such a seamless sort of like CGI, whatever the fuck he did to shoot that. That scene was just so fucked up. Like, I love that scene, and then I love my second would it, it's just a random scene on twin peaks and i it's in either the first or second season where they go to the bar and julie cruz is singing that song i want you rocking back inside my heart and then it like turns into like the weird like it's happening again and it was like with this just really fucked up bizarre scene with the log lady and it was like the, it had all the elements of Twin Peaks that I love, just kind of in one scene with the amazing music that he got and everything. And then I think my favorite Lynch scene, honestly, is the fucking creepy guy at the party in Lost Highway. The scene oh where he's God. like, I'm on the phone. Dude, that scene fucking, I, I just was like standing up when I saw that scene. I couldn't believe how fucking great it was and so simple. And it's just dialogue in that creepy guy telling him that I'm, I'm on the phone. You know, I'm answer it. I'm calling you from your house. Like, it's so fucked up and strange. Like, he calls his own home and the guy answers and he's standing in front. It was just so subtle and perfectly like, like just such a perfect way to make your audience so uneasy with just like dialogue between two guys at a party it was beautiful i think those are the ones that like stick out the most to me so. i can for sure see where like that scene has influenced other scenes like if you ever seen under the silver lake there's a couple scenes where i know david robert mitchell has seen that movie and has seen that oh, scene because yeah. there's several scenes in that movie that reflect that exact same awkward creepy feel which yeah. is dialogue in that movie yeah. very underrated movie by the way i love that I got I got them all in here, man. I know it's a good one. <laughs> pulling in, yeah. Pulling them out. yeah, it's I a good keep one. Pulling them out, you know what I mean? I, I love that yeah. question too because uh, with with Lynch, there's so much people don't often talk about the movies as a whole, but everybody remembers some fucked up shit that they saw in his movies, yeah. or they'll remember, remember a the feeling. <laughs> yeah, like the baby in a racer head and the turkey. Fuck, dude, that's oh, so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
The best was uh, at the very end of Wild at Heart when there's a big shootout and there's blood oh, spraying right. everywhere. Willem Dafoe blows his own head off. And then, like, the guy's, where'd my hand go? Where'd my hand go? And the dog just grabs it and he's <laughs> running off into the distance. Yeah. Comedic, like, little twist on that. I was like, oh. Different, though. Honestly, I think for me, Wild at Heart is the one that sticks out from a lot of Lynch's works because it feels very camp. Like, a lot yeah. campier than usual. And it's very, yep. it's much more melodramatic. It's, it almost feels like very it's theatrical. Sad. But at the same time, it, it feels like a lot of it is very, a lot of it deals with very sub like serious subjects matter in preventing yeah. in a dramatic way. But at the same time, it's just like David Lynch is just taking these like wackadoo characters, like very like kind of natural born killers kind of thing and just letting them do their thing, but also having fun with it. Like a lot of it felt like very in jest for me. Yeah. And, yeah. But like that was his, that was his fun movie. That was yeah, him having fun. <laughs> well, he didn't write but, it, so yeah. By the way, in the in in the uh, Instagram message thing, people are saying happy birthday to Shy. So yes, it is officially your birthday as of here on the East Coast as of a half hour ago. So in a half hour in Central Standard Time, where you currently are, it will be your birthday. So well, happy birthday, to Shay, and happy and birthday to Will as well. Thank you. Yeah. And Will, by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to bail soon. I'm so tired. And no, I it's all good. I was night. actually just saying that this is the perfect spot for us to get to our okay. closing because okay. uh, what I'm gonna do first though is I want to thank our buddies over at Universal Pictures because they sent us a film that we're gonna give away to everybody. They sent us a copy of the new film starring Adam Brody, Leighton Meester, and Taron Killam called River Wild. This is a brand new movie. It just came out on, uh, I have a copy, but here um, we're going to give it away to one of our viewers. Uh, all you got to do is listen to the podcast and hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at film snob reviews to tell us you listen to the podcast and give us your favorite David Lynch scene. And we'll enter you to win. We'll name, we'll, we'll give you the winner in our October episode, um, which uh, I believe we already have Rosa coming on as our guest who we haven't had on our podcast for a couple years we love her she's coming back um we might we're gonna be talking about latin american films because she and i are both latin american Delindo. as far as i know uh we're gonna be doing that and uh we'll give this away to one of our viewers um where can people find you adam since you're our guest if they want to harass you and talk about nandor fordor or any of your other movies like chariot which is also a very fucking good movie so you guys should see it that's the malkovich one only on instagram i'm soaring seagull on instagram and i post like stupid memes and stuff about my movies that's pretty much my my instagram mo but so follow me on there and, and dm me slide into my dms and tell me what you think about nandor because i really like hearing people's thoughts whether you like it or hate it i really enjoy interacting with people about movies the movie's batshit crazy you guys are gonna like it james where can people harass you online buddy people can harass me well don't take that out of oh that's gonna be a sound bite that people cut and just paste every uh you guys can find me on instagram it's james elos frames uh james y l o s frames like the frames that go at 24 frames a second for wonderful motion pictures love that james and then shay and landon baby boy landon where can they find you if they want to harass you online now of course they want to harass shay every day but landon you're also there <laughs> uh 
Um, so hi. So I, yeah, I mean, you guys can find all of my cool stuff. I um, do modeling just for fun. I do creative shoots. I'm a comic book artist, and I'm also making movies now. You can find me on Instagram and harass me also, and tell me whatever the fuck at limina underscore nineteen ninety nine. That's like liminal as in liminal spaces, but without the L in nineteen ninety nine. And one of the best shoots for movies of all time. Bada bing. Bada bing. Bada bing. Landon. <laughs> You can find me at uh, on Instagram, uh, Landon. Uh, it's like Brandon with an L <laughs> underscore Munoz, M U N O Z. Or you can find me at Landon M dot Biz. Oh. Or on IMDb because this man has a record. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can find me if you if you're so inclined can go on my IMDb page, but it's, it's just movies. It's nothing exciting. It's just a list of movies. Guys, you can find me everywhere at Film Snob Reviews, including on YouTube, where our interview with Adam will be up this week for Nandor. Our interview where we talk about the movie, we talk about his favorite movies, and he answers the Desert Island question that everybody has a hard time answering. That takes 35 minutes to answer. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Film Snob Reviews, all of our interviews are on there. Little snippets of them. We just put up our interview that we did with pro wrestler and actor Diamond Dallas Page from last year on there. That was pretty sweet. Uh, so check that out. And then, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I have a personal Twitter. It's Will, W-I-L, and my last name, which you can't spell anyway, E-G-U-I-Z-A-B-A-L. Have fun with that one, you fucks. Yeah, I just fo- I just followed all of you on Instagram, and if you don't follow me back, you're fucking dead to me. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're dead. You just follow this man back. And guys, make sure you're following everybody, and check out everything that we're doing. We're Right now, we're covering two different film festivals. We're covering Fantastic Fest starting tomorrow, and we're covering New York Film Festival starting the 29th. James, you better get your ass over there because I've already got some stuff planned for you. I'm going to the city, Will. Uh, Go see a man about a horse, my guy. For Film Snob Reviews and the Snob Cast, this has been episode 27, and we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Thank you for having me on. Of course. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.